are actually concluding our series entitled Followers this week, and uh, we are talking about uh, followers give, followers tithe. And last week we, we talked about this, and, and I'll be honest with you, this is a subject I don't, I don't love preaching on, the aspect of giving, the aspect of tithing, but when you come to God's word, we, we find it over and over and over again. We, we found the principle of giving, the principle of tithing. And last week we saw that it was a part of our heart. And if you're a visitor here, let me say that if you came last week and it was your first Sunday and you came back again, you're thinking, this church, all they do is talk about giving. Um, we, we don't just talk about giving, but it's in God's word, so we have to approach it. And, and when we come to the book of Acts, we see that the followers of Christ, they gave. They, that was a part of their lifestyle. And so we, we want to understand this principle of the tithe. So my, my purpose this morning is actually very, very simple. I want to show you in God's word what the Bible teaches us about tithing. Please know that I'm not after your money, so let go of your wallets. I'm not after your money. I'm asking you as your pastor to consider the faithfulness of God. I don't know if you heard about uh, the state fair. Do, you, do we have state fairs here in Orlando? Good. I, I, love, I love the state fairs. And in one of the state fairs in Tennessee this one time, this big overgrown guy, this big hefty guy, a big strong man, he, he got a lemon. He got that lemon and he squeezed that lemon. He squeezed that lemon to the point to where every ounce of the lemon juice dripped out. He squeezed it so much that there was only the rind that was left. He squeezed it so much that all the lemon juice fell on the ground and he threw it down on the ground. He challenged anybody and everybody that was in the audience to come up and pick that lemon rind up and to try to squeeze a drop out of it. Well, there were some big guys, not as big as them, but there were some big guys in the audience, and they got up, and they picked, they bent down, they picked up that lemon rind, and they squeezed with everything they had, and, and not one drop, they dropped it on the ground. There were some women and some kids, they came up, and they squeezed with everything they had, and not one drop fell. The last guy that came up was this little old wiry kind of guy. He was an older gentleman. He, it looked like a big wind. If a big wind blew, it would knock this guy over. He, he was just a, he was just a little little wiry kind of guy and he picked that lemon up off the ground and with one hand he just squeezed and went drop squeezed again drop drop squeezed it again three more drops this big tough guy goes who in the world are you he said my name is mr jones he said what do you do for a living he found the treasurer of the baptist church down the street (laughs) Today, I, I, you're not going to hear me ask you to give until it hurts. That, 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 that's not the goal. I'm not going to ask you to give until it hurts. I'm going to ask you to give until it helps. And that's the principle of the tithe. If you listen with your head and respond with your heart, open your heart. I know that we've all been burnt. We hear churches and how churches misuse finances. But, but I say it again, as I said last week, we are in a great position financially at a Loma Church, and I'll say it again, God does not need our money. I'm not standing up here begging you to give money. That, that, that's not the point. The point ultimately starts with the heart, and then we want to see the blessings that come after it. I want us to make a rational decision, not because somebody pressured us to give, but a rational decision based upon God's word that we want to follow God's word to what it says. So Malachi chapter 3, if you're having trouble finding the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, just go one page to the left and you're going to find the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, I'll be reading from the ESV, that's the English Standard Version, but you follow along in your translation as I read from mine. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse number 6. 
For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? And God said, in your tithes and in your contributions or in your offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So bring the full tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let's look at this story for just a moment. Keep your Bibles open and look at verse six. Notice what God says. He says something interesting here. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Considering that it's coming in the context of he's about to drop the bomb of giving and tithing. And and, and he says in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. You know why he says that? To change means that you have to do one of two things. You have to get better or you have to get worse. So to change, God says, I don't change. And I don't get better, I don't get worse. Think about that. God can't get any better, can he? God is already pure and holy. God cannot get any better than he already is. So he says, I don't change. I don't get any better. And we know that God can't get any worse, can he? God can't sin. God can't lower himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't shift to the right. I don't shift to the left. I don't change. But the reason why he says this, I, the Lord, do not change, is he then turns that and says, but you, my people, my chosen children, you have changed. Look at it, verse 6. You departed from the teaching of your fathers. So the children of Israel, he, he says, you, you, you changed. You didn't get better, but you got what? You got worse. You got worse. And then we see the grace and mercy of God. Oftentimes we read the Old Testament and we see the wrath of God, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, but we can't pass up and we see uh, in the Old Testament even the mercy of God. He says, return to me, return to me and I will restore you. The people heard this message in verse seven and they asked a flippant question, how shall we return? Now don't, don't think that for a, a second that the people, when they asked, how shall we return? They're, they're not truly seeking the face of God here. This is not an attempt on their part to understand their sin and why God is so angry. Instead, the people are saying, hey, God, what are you talking about? Look at all the stuff we've got. We're your chosen people. We're the ones with the temple. God, what are you talking about? These people were so self-righteous that they were blinded by their spiritual condition. They were hypocrites. They were self-justified and in arrogance. They said they were ignorant of their own sin. And God responded. He said, you have robbed me. The people asked another flippant response. They, they, they came back and just as they said, how can we return to you? They flippantly said, well, God, how have we robbed you? We've not stolen anything from you. Look at your Bible, verse 8. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will man rob God? If you underline your Bible, underline that word man right there. And then underline that word God right there. And then turn over with me to Genesis chapter 1. Keep your finger there in Malachi 3. We'll be back. But I want you to see something here in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, the Hebrew, Hebrew is a beautiful language. I, I love the Hebrew language. And the, the opening pages of Scripture, it's just beautiful. It says, Barashol bara Elohim, in the beginning, God created. Elohim. You see there in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. You see that word God, that's the word Elohim. Elohim means creator. It means God, the creator. So here we see that in the beginning, the creator created everything. Now look down at verse number 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then Elohim, the creator, said, let us make what? Man. How many here have an ESV Bible? Raise your hand if you have an ESV Bible. Now, look right there. It may be in your other translations, but I know in the ESV Bible it's going to have it. You see that little number up above man? That means, hey, look in the margin and see what the translation of this word is. And if you look there in the translation, you have an ESV Bible, maybe your Bible does the same thing, but it says there in verse 26 that that word man is the Hebrew word Adam. You see it there? Adam. Man, the created. When you come back over to Malachi chapter 3, it's the same two words, Elohim and Adam, man. Pastor, what's your point? Here's the point. God says, will man rob God? What he's truly saying is, will the created rob the creator? Will the one who was created on the sixth day truly steal from the one who created him? That's what he's saying. The people flippantly responded, how have we stolen from you? And God responded, you've stolen from me in your tithes and in your offerings. The sin, God has said. He said, because you have robbed from me, because you have stolen from me, because you have withheld from me, There is a curse upon your people. I believe that we can see the curse that uh, Malachi talks about in the book of Haggai. You see, Haggai and Malachi, they were contemporaries. Haggai was preaching to the nation of Israel the same time Malachi was preaching to the nation of Israel. So if there was a curse upon the nation of Israel, Malachi talks about this curse, so does Haggai. And here's what Haggai says in Haggai uh, chapter 1. Haggai said, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Haggai describes the curse that was upon the nation of Israel. You got all this food, but you're still hungry. You got all this water, but you're still thirsty. You got all these clothes, but you're still cold. You have all of this wealth and all of this money, but when you open up your wallet, you're broke. And that's the curse that was upon the people of Israel. And then back in Malachi, God said, this curse that is upon you, 
this curse that is upon you, it can and it will be lifted. I want to lift this curse from you. But the only way it's going to be lifted, Malachi chapter 3, is to bring the tithe and the offering into the storehouse that you'll be blessed. The curse will be lifted, verse 10. Prove me, he said, and test me in this. In fact, God says here that I will open the windows of heaven. I will open the very windows of heaven and push out all of the blessings out of this window upon you so much that you will not be able to contain all the blessings I'm going to give to you. There are some things that I think that we can glean from this text today. Understanding that Malachi 3 was written in the Old Testament to a section of people I believe that we find three principles here that if you and I practice, it will help us. Number one, tithing is a principle, not just a law. And that leads us to obedience. Tithing is a principle. It's not simply the law, and it it leads us to obedience. Explicit within this passage of Scripture is a command. He said, you bring, see it? Bring the tithes into the storehouse. We must learn to be obedient in the, matters, in the matters of our money. The command regards a proportion, a tithe, and beyond the tithe, an offering. But the question today is this, what is a tithe? The tithe is the principle of first things first. That's the tithe. First things first. You say, well, I know what the tithe is. A tithe is, is a 10% of my income dedicated and given to God. If you think that's what the tithe is, you're wrong. The tithe is not just a tenth. The tithe is the first tenth given to God. It's the principle of first things first. When I receive, off the top, I give and dedicate to the Lord the first 10%. It's evidence of obedience. It's evidence of surrender in our life, His sovereignty and His authority over our life. Now, we know that truly all things belong to God anyway, don't they? Everything that we have, God has blessed us with. Would you agree with that? So everything that he has given, it's not just the first tenth that belongs to God. Everything belongs to God, but he simply asks just for that first tenth. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. <laughs> You're talking about the Old Testament. And I come from a church. I, pastor, I've been a Christian longer than you have been alive. And I come from a church where the pastor says, Christians, you don't have to tithe because that's Old Testament law. And we're no longer under law, we're under grace. Let's look at that for just a moment, shall we? The law is not simply, yes, it's a part of the law, but it's more than the law, it's a principle. In Genesis chapter 14, we meet two men, Melchizedek and Abraham. On the screen, you see the passage, Genesis chapter 14, and verse 18. says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. And he said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of, of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. But Abram did what? He gave him a tithe of everything. You see that? Now, for my Bible scholars in here, where, what book of the Bible did the law come into play? In what? In the book of Exodus. 
Now, is Exodus before Genesis or after Genesis? Okay. So what we just read, we, we just read Genesis, didn't we? The first book of the Bible. And Abraham gave and he brought to the priest of the Lord a tithe. The tithe. He, he gave him a tenth of everything that he owned. Genesis, that happened before Moses went up to the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. So you see, the, the, the principle of the tithe is not simply a part of the law. Yes, it's a part of the law, but it predates the law. It's a principle. Let me give you another one. In that same book, in the book of Genesis, we, we meet two, two men, two brothers, Cain and Abel. And the Bible says that, that Cain and Abel, they both brought sacrifices unto God. And you know the story. Uh, Abel's sacrifice was worthy to God. Cain's wasn't because it was out of impure, wrong motives. And God blessed Abel and he rejected Cain's sacrifice. And what did Cain do? Well, wait a minute. How can we say that he murdered because the law hasn't been placed yet? How can we say that murder was wrong if, if Moses has not yet given us the law to tell us that murder was wrong? The way we know is because murder is wrong whether the law says it or not. It's a principle. There's another one. Let me give you another one. In the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, we see that on the sixth day he created man, and man was sitting here kicking the dust, and he was lonely. He was, he was bored and the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And he put him to sleep, and from his side, from his rib, he created woman, and he said that the two shall be joined together. This is the principle of marriage. And let me say at the forefront, we'll talk about this next week, I don't care what the government has to say and how they want to define marriage. According to the Bible, marriage is one man, one woman, together forever. It's a principle, it's not law. There's another one, and we could go on, but uh, the, the cities in Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed because of what sin? Homosexuality. And, and this, this happened before the law said it was wrong, but the principle still remains. God rejects sin, and, and church, listen to me, we want to be known for what we're for, but we stand upon God's word, and we don't reject the homosexuals. We love the sinner, but we hate the what? The sin. I so want to preach next week's message right now, but I can't. <laughs> but we see the principle, the, 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 the issue is that it's, it, it predates the law. Do you see it there, church? Do you see it there, church? Is it just me? It's a principle. It's not simply just the law. Jesus spoke about the tithe. In Matthew 23, 23, he, he was talking to the Pharisees, and he said to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You say, there you go, pastor. Jesus just discredited, he just disallowed the tithe. No, he did not. It goes on to say, these things, these meaning the tithe, these things you ought to have done. But he said, you've gone on, you've neglected the weightier matters. You've neglected the others. Just because we give tithes and offerings doesn't mean that our heart is right with God. 
You can give cash. You can give 10% of your income, net or gross. You, you can give, you can give 10, you can give 20% of your income and the offering plate every single Sunday. And if it's out of impure motives, if it's not in the right heart, then friend, it's not the tithe. The point that Jesus is saying, these Pharisees, they're giving all this money, but that's not the tithe because they're doing it out of impure motives, not the right heart. It's not an act of worship for them. But he said, when you come, you bring this as an act of worship. You're giving to God. It's not cash is not the issue. Tithing is a matter of the heart. The Pharisees, they gave the first tenth to God, but he didn't bless them. And the reason why is because their heart was wrong. I'll say it again. God does not need our money. But he demands our heart. When these Pharisees tithe, they did it for recognition. They did it out of duty, not out of worship. He, he tells a parable as well in Luke chapter 18. And he says there's a, a Pharisee over here praying. And there's a tax collector over here praying. The Pharisee, he looks his eyes up to heaven. And he prays with a loud voice so others may hear him. And he, he says that, that they, they prayed out, thank you, God, that I'm not a tax collector like this man. I'm not a sinner like this man. But I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth. I tithe everything that I have. He's gloating about what he gives. And then the tax collector over here, he, the Bible says that he doesn't even, he can't even look up to heaven. He's so humbled by the grace of God. He looks at the ground and he says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that Pharisee, he walked away puffed up, dignified. But the tax collector walked away that day justified. You see, it's not about simply just putting money in the offering plate. It's an act of worship. It's a truly, it's an act of worship. It's a place of our heart. And if your heart's not in the right place, you can give as much money as you want to, but God is not going to see that as the tithe. It's truly an act of worship. Look at Malachi 2. We, I know the first service, we went really late, and we're going to go really late again today. I'm sorry, but... There's just so much goodness here. Let me show you that it's, it's the issue of the heart. Look at Malachi 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to what? To heart. To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, and I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to Heart. Verse 3 needs no explanation, but let's read it. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and, shall, and you shall be taken away with it. Do you see that God does not want our money? God does not need our money. He is a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And if you think that I'm going to come in and I'm just going to drop a big bill in the offering plate and God's just going to get off my back, that's not the point. You miss the issue. God says, I don't care about your money. I want your heart. But if we truly give him our heart and our life, then that means he has what? He has everything. Our finances included. Number two, the second thing that we see, not only is it a, it's not 
just the law, it's, it's a principle, but number two, it is God's, it's not ours. It's surrender. Our money is God's, it's not ours. The tithe is God's, it's not ours. Surrender. Verse 8 says, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? And certainly no one would want to rob God. That's unthinkable to do, right? But God said, you have robbed me in your tithes and your offerings. You have withheld from me what rightfully belongs to me. The Bible teaches that if we do not tithe, then we are stealing from God. This is robbery without a weapon. To be biblically accurate, we we don't give the tithe. We return the tithe. The tithe is not ours. We give offerings, but we return the tithe as a debt that we owe. Not a bad debt, but a good debt. It's not something we have to do, it's something we get to do. The tithe, the Bible says the tithe, that's the Lord's. And I promise you, whether you return it or not, God will get what rightfully belongs to him. Now, it it may happen that you're driving down the road and you've bought new tires just a year ago and those tires get bald really quick. And you have to take that car to a, the tire place and the man who owns the tire place is a Christian and, and you have to buy new tires a whole lot earlier than you thought you would have to, but you give that, you have to buy those tires and that Christian man who sells you those tires, he gets it and he gives the tenth. Maybe you go to a Christian doctor because your health is failing you and, and you have to pay him and he'll tithe. You see, the point is this, God will get the tithe. God will get what belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. You've heard it said, you come in with nothing and you leave with nothing. I've done many funerals in the years I've served as a minister and a pastor. And in those funerals, the, the pastor drives behind the hearse, and I have yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it on the way to a cemetery. You can't take it with you, can you? The psalmist said, what shall I render to the Lord for all that he has given unto me? Think of the goodness that he's given to you, Christian. Think of the goodness and the blessings he's given to your family. Think about the goodness that he's blessed this church with. Count God's blessings. You say, well, I have nothing to thank God about. Wait a minute. Count your blessings, the old hymn. Count them what? One by one. He saved you. God sent his son into this world who died on an old rugged cross for your sins. He paid in full atonement for all of eternity our sins so that we can go into heaven. Not our rightful place, but a place that we don't deserve, but a place that we get to go. He's given to us the Holy Spirit. And we have within us the possessions and the riches of the kingdom of God. And he's now preparing a place for us when we get there. Is it unreasonable? I ask you, is it unreasonable to give God the first dime of every dollar that we make? Is it unreasonable? That's the starting place for Christian stewardship. We don't have time to go into, I hear Christians all the time say, Pastor, tithing, that's the Old Testament. We're New Testament. I say, well, turn into the book of Acts and, and, and Peter and Paul, they say, give everything. They say, Pastor, here's my tithe. <laughs> 
It starts with the tithe. It, it, it starts with, that's what God desires. That's the beginning point. And, and for many of us who have been Christians for a while, we know that's the beginning point. But you cannot give God, can you? You cannot give God. Haggai 1.6 is, is, again, the place where it says that some of us are living under a curse. They, they lived under a curse because they did not return to God. And remember what Haggai 1.6 said? It said that you're eating, but you're still hungry. You're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You have all of these clothes, but you're still cold. You make all of this money, but you open up your wallet and you're broke. That's what some of us as Christians sitting in this room, that curse is upon us because we don't return first things back to God. That is the model of our country today. More and more and more and more because we can't get enough. And when you turn around and look, we're completely and utterly broke. Maybe we, maybe we have this all wrong. And that leads us into our third point. It's not our economy, it's God's economy. What I'm about to say makes absolutely zero sense. If, if you studied business in college, what I'm about to say turns what you studied up on top of his head. But Jesus had a way of doing that, didn't he? Jesus said that the weak, they're going to be the ones that are strong. Jesus said the last, they're going to be the ones that are first. The poor, they're going to be the ones that are rich. Jesus had a way of doing that. This is God's economy, not man's, and it requires faith. Faith is a reason to tithe. God said in verse 10, Malachi chapter 3, try me, test me in this, prove me in this, put me to work in your life. Listen to me, God has promised to be faithful to those that give to him, who bring their tithes and their offerings to him. Bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse and see if I will not open the window of heaven and bless you like you've never imagined. You say, I can't afford to tithe. Friend, y'all already finished my sentence for me. But I tricked you, I'm not going there yet. Do you believe that this is God's holy word? You all responded a whole lot better in the first hour. Good job. You believe this is God's holy word? Every promise in it is, is true and faithful. There's not one thing in here that, that is, is going to return void. Then if that's true, and I read verse 10... And it says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. Those who say they can't tithe, I, I can't afford to tithe. That's when I come back and I say, you can't afford not to tithe. If this is true, if this is true, when you tithe, when you give, you cannot outgive God. It's not possible. It's not possible. Say, well, I'm looking at my account. <laughs> Pastor, it is not possible. I'm convinced that every Christian, every follower of Christ, they, they want to tithe. They, they want to give to God. But the problem is we've got trouble with the math. Look at the screen with me. We, I pulled a, uh, this is the average budget for the American. 
You see it? 36% goes to our house and our utilities. 23% goes to our vehicle. Starving kids in Africa and over 50, almost 60% of our income is in our house and our automobile. 12% clothing and entertainment. 10% food. 8% health care. 8% debt retirement. 6% miscellaneous. That, if you add the math up, that's 103%. In other words, in keeping up with the Joneses, we are spinning ourselves more and more and more into debt. Will you please listen to me? Stop following the pattern of the government and spending more and more and more in debt and follow God's plan, which is freedom and blessing. There is good debt, there is bad debt, and, and we as a church, we, we, we believe and we teach, and, and please, if, if you're struggling with your finances and you're looking at my finances, and that's exactly what your finances look like and your budget looks like, we offer crown uh, ministries, we offer financial freedom, we offer classes, and, and very soon we're going to be gearing up some more classes, so if you need help, we as a church want to help you. No gimmicks. No gimmicks. But we want to see you get out of debt and, and lose the stronghold that debt has on your life. But maybe you've never been taught before. And there are principles in God's word. In fact, there's, God says, Jesus says more about money than he does about heaven or hell. It's so important. But yet as I look at our country, I see the degradation of our country. I see that we're what? How many trillions of dollars in debt? Here I go. I got to wait till next week. Wait. Stop. <laughs> and then he says, I'll rebuke the devourer. See it there in Malachi 3. Those things that rob you of joy, those things that rob you of your peace, that debt, all those things in life, God says, I'm going to take personal responsibility for your finances. And if you include me in your financial plan, I tell you that if you make that faith commitment, the old money monster, the old, the, old, uh, the, the green-eyed God of greed in our lives will take a direct hit. We can trust him with the eternal things. We can trust him with our salvation. But why is it so hard to trust him with earthly things? Why is it so hard to trust him with the temporal and the financial things? So let's throw the question out. How do I start? Pastor, how do I start tithing? I think a lot of folks, it, 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 we, we really struggle with this. Maybe you started and you stopped, you started and you stopped and you started. I, I'm convinced that most church members, you, you, you want to tithe, you want to give this, you want to obey God, but it, it's a matter of how to. H- how do I do this? The way you do it is you make it a matter of dedication. You dedicate your heart. You may not be able to start with 10%, but you start with something and you're faithful with that and you build upon that. Believe God, trust God, act by faith. It's a mathematical miracle that God, what God is going to do and bless you. Now, God never promises that he's going to bless us like those health and wealth uh, TV preachers, those name it and claim it guys that say, you give me $100 a week later, it'll be $1,000. That's not in God's economy. That's, that's straight from the pit of hell. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. God never promised that he's going to make us rich, did he? His own son, the son of man, the Bible says the the foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. But Jesus was a very rich man, wasn't he? 
There's blessings from God you can't add up in your bank book. God has promised to meet our needs physically and also materially. He said, I will never leave you orphans. Make it an act of the will. Discipline yourself. Do it week by week. If you're paid weekly, tithe weekly. If you're paid bi-weekly, tithe bi-weekly. If you're paid monthly, tithe monthly. Again, start with a tithe. Start somewhere. Start with a fixed amount and then allow that to grow. Write that first check to God. Sit down with yourself and your family. Teach this to your children. Make a determination that no matter what, even when you fail, even when you stop, that you'll start back again. Just because you've tried and failed doesn't mean that you can't try again. Make it a matter of the heart. Make it a matter of dedication. This past week, I received a letter in the mail from an individual who, who attends our church, been attending for a few months, and he wrote, and it was a testimony of the tithe. I called him and asked if I had permission. I'm not going to give his name or anything like that, but I asked if I could have his permission to give just the meat of, of his letter, and he agreed. And here's what he said. Listen to this. This, this is a person who, who attends, who sits in the pew with you. Listen to what he says. Attending our church, he, he said, I, I, I love that you're preaching on tithing and the role surrounding the blessing. Because yes, pastor, it is a blessing. But I, for one, had to learn it the hard way. He said, that was 23 years ago, and let me share my testimony with you. At that time, I was giving, but it was not a tithe. It was about $100 a month. And although I was single, I had loans, I had car payments and other bills that prevented me from raising my giving to a tithe. I didn't worry much about it until God forced me to deal with the issue. And I had been struggling with my walk at the time and issues at work as well as my singleness. Yet I felt God pressuring me to step up and be obedient in my finances. Finally, he said I agreed, but I also told God I was standing firm on Malachi 3.10. And I was going to keep a list of, of blessings that I received in return. For the blessing to count, he said, I had, it had to be one that I had not been expecting. This way I could really see the difference in my giving. I was not in a position then to immediately increase my giving to 10%. What I did do was start increasing my giving to say 150 a month, then 200, then later 250. Within a year, he said, I was tithing. Even better is that as I walked forward in faith, my list of blessings grew in return. Within several months, he says, of this challenge, I stopped keeping a list. He said, God was giving me so much in return, I told him I didn't need to keep the list anymore. He goes on to say, over the years that followed, I prayed that God would give me a wife who tithed. Years later, he answered the prayer. She also had been tithing as a single for many years. I was so thankful we could share in this blessing together. Church, what I received, this testimony, is not an anomaly. In fact, I received five letters very similar to that just this week through email or through letter. That testimony that I just read is, has been experienced by countless numbers of Christians sitting in this room. And that same testimony has been my own testimony. When Sarah and I, we, we, we set off from East Tennessee, we went to the metropolis of, of Dallas, Texas. We left heaven and we went to hell. <laughs> Sorry. I just made somebody mad. Don't send me an email. <laughs> Dallas is a good city. It's just hot. There's two seasons in Dallas, hot and hotter. <laughs> but no, we, we went there and we had nothing. We, I mean, 
I've lost my East Tennessee accent uh, for the most part, but uh, we, we didn't know anybody. People were making fun of us because of the way we talked, and um, we had nothing, but we, uh, yeah, they shouldn't have been laughing, should they? <laughs> they had no room to talk. But we, we went into the first apartment we lived in, very close to downtown Dallas, is all that we could afford. And you, you've heard of a Roach Hotel? What we lived in was underneath the Roach Hotel. <laughs> the, the front door, it was, had, a, had a gap this big in the front to the bottom of the front door, and Texas roaches are literally that tall, and they're, that, they're, they're the size of alligators. <laughs> That's why I don't like alligators. They remind me of roaches. <laughs> but these things, they were coming into our, our house. We, 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 we didn't have a lot. We were, I mean, as a seminary student, we didn't have hardly anything and I'll tell you the story. We lost our jobs. We, we had nothing, but what we had, we, we tithed on. And I'm not saying this to pat my back. I'm saying this as a testimony to God because look at me. I've not gone hungry. <laughs> when you're faithful in the little things, God begins to bless you. And as God blesses and, and uh, you know, God, God will bless you. And the testimony that we just read is my testimony. As we were, as we were faithful in the tithe, we never, we never went broke. We never, we never went hungry. There's never a time where we said, we need this. Yeah, we said that there's some things that we want, but we were never in need. You know why? Because the principle of the first things first. Now, I'm not going to debate. I, I shared with you the principle and the law, and you can say all you want to. Well, pastor, that's still Old Testament. You can't deny, you cannot deny the testimony that I just read. You cannot deny the testimony that we've experienced, that because we have given unto God, God has blessed us because of that. Now, we weren't rich. We're not rich now. But there's so much about life that it doesn't matter about financial riches, does it? And it starts with the tithe. It starts with the gift. Let's think about that. Would God require of us what he has not already done? No. No. God would not require our best if he has not first already given us his best. And God has given us his best in the person of Jesus Christ, hasn't he? In fact, the most popular passage in all the Bible, John 3, 16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. That he gave. That he gave. He gave. He gave. He didn't withhold, but he gave. You see, God has given to us his best in the person of Jesus. And since God has given to us his best, we are to return. Not everything. It all belongs to him. But he said, I just want the first tenth. And if you do that, if you do that, I will lift the curse off of you and I will rain down blessings upon you.